Over the next two weeks, we will be looking at two roadside conversions. Next week in, in Acts chapter 9, I almost said Romans chapter 9. Isn't that the most important chapter 9? Next week in Acts chapter 9, we'll see a rapacious Pharisee named Saul converted on a road. And this week, we're going to see an Ethiopian eunuch with a divine appointment with a deacon named Philip. If you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. And we shall begin reading in verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and is returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. This morning, we'll consider three things. One, the need to be ready for the Lord's call. Two, we will marvel at how we know the Lord will save his people. And three, we'll rejoice at the expansion of the kingdom. We are to be ready for the Lord's call any time in our lives. How are you going to be ready for the Lord's call? Well, let me suggest to you the first thing you need to do is you need to listen to him. The Lord said to Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the richest affair 
Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. At the Mount of Transfiguration, with the face of our Savior changed in his raiment in dazzling white, a cloud overshadowed the disciples who were on the mountain. And Peter, James, and John heard a voice, the voice of God coming from the cloud. And that voice said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So how do you listen to God? Well, first, let me suggest to you that in order to listen to God, you need to know and study his word. Paul wrote to his spiritual son, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things, he said. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close eye, he wrote. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Later, Paul would encourage Timothy to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with. In other words, you know the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We know that Philip listened to God through studying his word because we've seen how he brought the gospel to Samaria. We know that he was part of FBC Jerusalem, where they were devoted to the apostles teaching, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And here we see that he hears a man reading a particular text of scripture and Philip is able to tell him about Jesus beginning right where he was. This is a man who knew his Bible. And if you want to listen to God, you need to first begin studying and knowing the scriptures. And then you can listen to God by being sensitive to the prodding of the Holy Spirit, similar to the song we just sang. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, for all who are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And every one of you, if you are a child of God, you are a living temple to God and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. It is in you. If you are a child of God, where heaven and earth meet the Holy Spirit, empowering you to do the will of God. So you need to have your mind set on the spirit for to set the mind on the spirit. Paul says is life and peace. Philip's mind is set on the spirit of life. He studied God's word. He has a life of prayer and he knows the call of the spirit of God when it comes. If you would like to be ready for God's call in your life, you must first be listening to God. But two, you should be living lives of obedience in your daily walk. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The disciple whom Jesus loved would later pen that for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, Paulette, Jesus did not mean the Decalogue, did he? And John was not referring to the Pentateuch. For the law is powerless to save. 
And all who rely on works of the law for salvation are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. But praise be to God that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us on that tree. The commandments of Christ are all contained in the new commandment that he gave his disciples. Love one another, he said. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Dear friend, you are not ready for God's call in your life. You are not ready to intercept the stranger in the chariot. If you are not living out a life of obedience in your daily life. Men. That means for you being a self-sacrificial husband in your home. Are you laying your life down for your wife as Christ laid his life down for the church? Are you loving your wife that well? You need to be this morning. You're not ready for a specific call in your life like Philip was in this scenario. Unless you are living out the call he's already given you in your daily walk. Ladies. Are you living out your calling in your home of joyful submission to your husband? Encouraging him to be the man God wants him to be? Encouraging him himself to model Christ in your home so that he would be self-sacrificial in your daily walk? Are you submitting yourselves to one another in this church? Are you at peace with everyone in this church? Do you love the people in this church? For that is how Jesus said that people would know that you're his disciples, that you would love one another. And each one of you individually in your home is not ready for a specific call of Christ if you're not doing that. And us corporately as a church are not ready for the call of Christ if we are not loving one another in this body. And so if we do these things, we'll be ready for the specific call of rise and go. If you live lives of obedience to Christ, even if we're called to a desert place, we'll heed the call of God and rise and go immediately. So if you want to be ready for the call of God, you need to, one, be listening to the Lord, both in word and in spirit. Two, you need to be living lives of obedience to him in your daily walk. And three, we all need to be joyfully bold. I've known some people who seem joyful and then they wilt. And I've known some people who are just bold, but they got no joy. But our call is to be both. And when Philip heard the call of the spirit to go over and join the chariot, we read that he ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. They had to get close. He had to hear him over the clip clap of the horses. He had to hear him over the clanging of the wheel and the Ethiopian eunuch was not reading aloud in a baritone that was strong. We're to have a joyful boldness in our lives. When Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he began it by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, he said. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all manner of things falsely against you on my account. Rejoice, he said, and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That word blessed could just as easily be translated happy or joyful. The call of Christ and his disciples is that we should be happy and joyful in our daily walk, even if we're in a desert place like Philip was, even if we're in this lovely church building. No matter where you are, we are to be, as Christians, joyful in our daily walk. Jesus chased the Beatitudes with the statement that we are to be salt and light. He told his disciples that they're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, calling us to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is why the church in Acts, filled with the Spirit, could pray with confidence when Peter and John were first released from prison, asking God to grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So Philip in this moment is eager to fulfill the calling that the Lord has for him in this theater of widows who listened to God, who is living a life of obedience to Christ, is now going with joyful boldness to feed a stranger the bread of life. The Christian should be ready for the Lord's call at any moment. And when you're called to witness to somebody, you can marvel that the Lord will save his people. Even the casual reader can see that this is a divine appointment. Paul would declare with confidence that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In fact, he says that in love, he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. For those whom he foreknew, Paul wrote, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And in this church, we preach the doctrine of election. And we don't preach that because it is a reformed doctrine. We preach that because it is the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how he saves sinners. And we praise God this morning that God not only predestines whom he will save, but the means by which they hear the gospel. My favorite verse in Providence in all the Bible is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Begins in verse 8. Remember this and stand firm, he writes. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east or the man of my counsel from a far country. 
I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. Listen to me, he writes, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteous, righteousness, listen, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Philip here is the man of God's counsel. He's called to bring the manna of the gospel to a desert place. And in this moment, it probably didn't feel glorious. It was probably hot. And it was arid. But this man of God was sensitive to the spirit's call. And he was going to be obedient to his Lord and Savior. For not only had it been decreed that this Ethiopian eunuch would come to know Christ, but it was ordained that Philip the evangelist would preach the gospel to him. And now we know that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But God has declared that faith comes from what? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Therefore, we read that all he predestined, he also called and we preach the gospel because our Lord has promised that the harvest is plentiful and his word will not return void. Indeed, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. The Lord will save his people by choosing and loving them from eternity and also by purchasing them through the blood of Christ Look at this text that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. This is from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. When John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Philip, of course, sat under the preaching of Peter, who declared that the elect are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the Pascal lamb. Jesus, Paul tells us, has been put forward by God as a propitiation, as the helosterion, as the mercy seat, for by his blood to be received by faith. We have been redeemed, therefore, through the blood of Christ. I am the good shepherd, he said. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I what? I lay my life down for the sheep and redemption. Redemption is a three legged stool. Dear friend, you were in bondage to sin and death. And a perfect ransom was paid. The effectual atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross and not a drop of the lamb's blood was shed in vain. For he secured all those he intended to ransom out of that bondage. And when there is bondage and the perfect ransom is paid, there will be deliverance. And praise God that we have been delivered from our sin by the power of Jesus Christ and the propitiating work of his blood on the cross. Amen. 
So when the eunuch asks Philip, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Philip could preach with joyful boldness that Jesus and Jesus alone satisfied the wrath and justice of God on that tree. The Lord, of course, saves people by choosing them before the foundation of the world, purchasing them with the blood of Christ. Yet he saves us with a view towards obedience in him, performing good works in the name of Christ to the glory of God. And this Ethiopian eunuch's salvation is marked by immediate obedience, for he follows our Lord in baptism. Jesus said when he came to John to be baptized that he must be baptized to, quote, fulfill all righteousness. It's as though Jesus was passing through the waters as the children of Israel from bondage to the promised land. But there's a greater sense in which that baptism is Jesus showing that he would go from death to life. So that all of us who have been baptized in Christ, Paul wrote, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so we can say on the authority of Scripture this morning, Lord willing, we'll have some baptisms next week. And they'll be by immersion. And we do that. We would do that if we didn't know what the word baptizo means. We would still we would still immerse. If we didn't know the Jewish history of the mikvah in the first century and that they would immerse converts, we would still immerse. Why? Because of the typological significance of immersing one into baptism after their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Because it displays three things. One, it displays the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It looks back in time. And I can tell you that Jesus Christ was not sprinkled by that tomb. Nor did the tomb merely cover his forehead. He was fully in the tomb. And when we baptize somebody, we are preaching a sermon. And you want that sermon to be right. You want that sermon to preach the right doctrine. And the sermon you are preaching through baptism is that Jesus Christ was buried and that he was raised. And something else we preach through baptism, something else that showed that Ethiopian eunuch was saved, was that he has been born again. He himself had come out of the bondage of sin and death into life. So that baptism, when you come up out of the water, displays not only the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but your conversion from death to life. So it looks to the past at the resurrection of our Lord. It looks at the present, your present conversion. And it looks to the future as well, to that glad, happy day when Christ comes again and the dead in Christ are raised to dwell with him in eternity. So the Christian is to be ready for the Lord's call. We are to marvel that the Lord will save his people. And we can rejoice, can't we, in the kingdom of God expanding just explosively in the book of Acts. Of course, the kingdom expands with the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion individually. 
But we can see here the global nature of the kingdom of God as well. One of the mysteries of redemption history, one of the mysteries of the story of God being told through the lives of men, is how the kingdom of God begins with a small group of people and spreads throughout the whole world. And of course, another mystery is that nobody saw it coming, though it was hidden in plain sight in the scriptures. So when Philip comes across the Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, and we read that Philip begins with that scripture and starts preaching to him Jesus and what Jesus came to accomplish. Perhaps he had the eunuch unfurl the scroll a little more to get to Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them the eunuch, the one who cannot sire a child. I will give them an everlasting name, a name that shall not be cut off. Isaiah goes on, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house, Jesus would quote this, when he's at the, at the cleansing of the temple, he would quote this verse. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. You see the promise of God, even in the Old Testament is that he would gather people from every tr tongue, tribe, and nation from the four corners of the earth. Or perhaps he would turn back in Isaiah to Isaiah 11, where we read, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, that means everybody all over the world, not only Israel, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand out a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, which is Ethiopia, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations, Isaiah wrote, and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The prophet Zephaniah would write, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples. That's everybody. That's the world. That's the nations to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord from beyond the rivers of Cush. That's Ethiopia. My worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. That's the promise again of every tongue, tribe and nation that begins at Pentecost. And it will end when the Lord comes. And we read after Philip baptizes the Ethiopian that the spirit of the Lord 
carried Philip away. He's still sensitive to the spirit. He's not resting at this moment of victory. And there's a sense in which the book of Acts is the new Joshua. Do you see that? Like in Joshua, they go into the promised land. They take the promised land. It's the fulfillment of promise. They go from exile to deliverance. I want you to, we're going to close with this. I want you to turn with me to a, for a moment. Keep a thumb at Acts 8 and go back to Joshua chapter 11. And I just want you to note the beauty of this. Acts 8 concludes with, but Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Azotus, that's the Greek word for the Hebrew city of Ashdod. And there's a moment in in the book of Joshua where Joshua declares that they've conquered Canaan land, that they've taken all the land. And I want you to read, just look with me at chapter 11, verse 21 through the end of that chapter. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, except there were. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, which is Azotus, did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to the tribal allotment, and the land had rest from war. You see the tension in that text, don't you? That he's conquered Canaan land, but there's still still some unconquered space there in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod, which is Azotus. It's at Ashdod or Azotus where the Philistines would take the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel 5. There's a sense in which this is part of a larger redemptive history of which Philip and the church at Jerusalem would have been acutely aware. This is God displaying that he is not finished, that his word will go not to all the towns of Israel and then throughout the wider world. And here in a single story, you see both the gospel going to Ethiopia, to Africa, And the gospel coming to this previously unconquered land during the time of Joshua. So Philip is fulfilling his call. He's ready for that call because he's listened to God. Because he's been obedient in his life. He's sensitive to the spirit. And he's ready for that call. And he's going to preach the gospel in his daily life. And that is our call today. Just as Philip goes preaching the gospel at every town and he ends up in Caesarea and he's going to keep preaching the gospel there. And Paul's going to see him in Acts 21. He's going to come across Philip while Paul is en route to Jerusalem. And Philip and his daughters are preaching the gospel in Caesarea. And that is every one of your call in your daily life at home, at work, and in this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story of Philip and the eunuch. Thank you for what it shows us about your love for your people. Thank you for how it displays that you will always get your man. That you have loved a people from before the foundation of the world and that you will ensure their salvation. 
Thank you for what it says to us about the global nature of the kingdom of God and how the gospel is spreading even today like the mustard seed. Be with each one of us this week that we would be devoted to your word and your spirit and that we would live lives of obedience in Christ, trusting in you for all things. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.